Even though I've already previously mentioned a little bit of my introduction, I want to touch base with the thought for a moment. I think often there's a pure motive by pastors and teachers that have, again, misplaced the doctrine of heaven and hell and are using, because as a pastor, we are not only wanting to teach people Christian living, we want people to walk in faith and walk before God upright and function, and we want people to be blessed. We certainly do. There's not a single one in here today that doesn't want his brother or sister to walk in the favor of God, right? We want the good things of God, and, and it, it is in our love uh, for people and our desire to affirm people of the love of God that we have seen an emphasis upon temporal blessings. But I do want to remind you that they are temporal. Every good thing that God brings into your life today, apart from His Holy Spirit, will one day fade away. From the car the, or your automobile, your house, to your job, to the clothes you wear, to the jewelry you have on, to uh, those things, your heirlooms that you receive from your loved ones, all one day will fade away. Will be forgotten uh, somewhere in a folded up in a box or a casement while you have moved on into eternity. It's the eternal things that really matter, right? Those are the things that really matter. And so the apostle said, while these blessings are good, and I want to be blessed, even Jesus said this himself. He said, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, right? That if you will seek earnestly the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. I understand that, and I'm grateful for a God that cares for me today, right? I am. I'm very grateful for the God and the Father who cares for me. But all these things, all these blessings, they are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be one day revealed to us, right? Not even worthy to be compared. Christianity's core belief. Here's Christianity's core belief. Christianity's core belief is that those who are born again, that's a term that many in the church are familiar with, but not everyone is. It's found in John chapter number 3. Jesus himself said, you must be born again. Born from above is another translation. Born by the Spirit is another translation. You must be born by the Spirit of God. Nicodemus said, who was, he was in conversation with, he was a leader in Israel. He said, how can I enter into my mother's womb the second time? Jesus said, you must be born by the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. All of us have residing within this carnal shell a spirit that must, if, it's going, if you're going to have eternal life, then you must embrace Christ because that's when he breathes into you his Holy Spirit giving you eternal life. So our belief is those that are born again, born by the Spirit, upon your death, whether it is in a childhood death or whether it is in your teenage years, your adulthood or your senior years, it does not matter that upon your death you will immediately appear with the Lord, comforted in His presence, where we will await the resurrection of the body. We believe in the resurrection of the body, right? We value laying our uh, our, our deceased loved ones in the grave where we await, First Thessalonians 4, they that are alive shall not prevent those that are asleep, right? For with the trumpet of the Lord, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then which we are alive and yet remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air is what First Thessalonians 4 says. So we are awaiting that great resurrection day. But those that are not born again, those that have not received the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, According to John's gospel, when he said, Jesus himself, they that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. You can be religious. You can have gone to church. You can have uh, degrees in theology. But if you have not received the Holy Spirit, 
If you're not born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you can't worship God in the spirit, only in the soulless realm, your mind, your will, your emotions, and with your carnal flesh or your appetites that you can submit to God. But if that's all that you do and you look like and you have the form of godliness, but you don't have the true power of the gospel, or if your heart's a hardened sinner against God and you shake your fist at God and you curse God and you spit at God, upon your death, it is our belief that you will enter this present hell. It's also defined as Sheol or Hades, where you will suffer in pain, sorrow, darkness, and flame. And those that are cast therein will too ultimately be resurrected. And they will be judged and will ultimately be cast into the lake of fire, the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. I believe that's a great contrast, heaven and hell. Right? And this parable more clearly uh, defines that contrast than any other passage of Scripture. Now, let me just say this. There are differing theological viewpoints concerning these verses, these 12 verses that we read. And, and, and I'm aware of many of those. I'll highlight one such very quickly. There are some that do not believe that this is a parable. Some believe it's an actual account because there's not a record of this being a parable. Oftentimes, the gospel writer himself will say, and Jesus spoke a parable. There's no record that it says that he spoke a parable. It says there was a certain man. So some believe it's an actual story of a man that lived that Jesus was familiar with. And whether or not that's the case, I cannot say. Others in this context believe that Abraham's bosom that was mentioned in the passage was the abode of the righteous saints prior to the cross. Prior to the cross of Calvary. You've heard me preach it years ago. And, uh, but it was also in hell itself. That hell also was that the righteous saints of the Old Testament were contained in this Abraham's bosom. Where they awaited the blood to be applied to the cross of Calvary. And then when Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth. Between the day of his death and the day of his resurrection. Upon his resurrection he brought them out of Abraham's bosom. That's a doctrine that's held by many in the church. It's a, I've studied it out in great detail and preached about it in days gone by. Many believe that following Jesus' resurrection, the spirits of those righteous saints were released to follow him into heaven. And all of that may be true, and there may be greater. We know there's a greater depth of theology because Jesus was saying this as he concluded the parable to say this. If they won't believe the law and the prophets, then they're not going to believe one that was raised from the dead. He was putting the burden of expectation upon the people to search the scriptures and see for in the scriptures, in the scriptures they testified about Jesus, the Old Testament scriptures. And so there's a depth to the theology, but that's not my goal today. My goal is to simply uh, to focus on the contrast of heaven and hell. In this world, here's the reality. In this world, life is in the flesh, and that life in the flesh is in the blood. You can't live in this life without blood. But in the world to come, life is in the Spirit. That's how come, think for a moment of time, that in the resurrection, Paul said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But in Jesus' resurrection, when he appeared to his disciples in Galilee, he said, handle me and see. He said, for a spirit has not flesh and bone as you see that I have. It's, if you put this together, in Leviticus 17, the Bible says, In this world, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Without blood, there is no life. In the world to come, the life is in the spirit. Jesus' resurrected body was empowered, and it was given life not by blood, but by the spirit. Right? And so, when we die and we move into eternity, we're waiting the resurrection of the body, which will be empowered one day by the spirit of God. 
The Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us is the first fruits. It's the down payment of the resurrection. It's the holding. It's the earnest money, the scripture says, or the earnest of our inheritance. But we believe, again, in the, that's in the world to come. It's in the spirit. So after, even, even, even after the resurrection, our heavenly tabernacles are going to be empowered by the spirit. I believe, and I believe many of you do as well, the apostle Paul said, even right now, absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I believe that the loved one that has departed into eternity that knows Christ, and when we have stood and wept that there's casket, and I've been there with many of you, if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death together, that that was but a tabernacle that had been folded up. But that loved one that you held to and clung to, that that real person, their spirit was immediately in the presence of God, where they were rejoicing in the presence of God. Jesus said, I go to prepare you a place he said in John chapter number 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'd go to prepare you a place that where I am, you may be there also. I believe in that eternal city today. I do with all of my heart. I believe it's a place that's filled with the glory and the presence of God. I believe that it is a place of no sorrow, no sickness, no pain or suffering. I believe in a city that the scripture says it lies four square. Its walls are as jasper, its gates are of pearl, and there is a, a, a golden street that runs right down the center of it. I believe in that city today. I believe in that crystal sea, a river of life that flows from the throne of God. I believe today in the tree of life that blooms again in that eternal city. You know what that's going to be like in heaven? The scripture says the lion and the lamb will lay down together. And there will be no more curse. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for... Did y'all know? Let me just be the first to announce it. I announced it in our class. Spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. I know March the 21st is spring, but spring has sprung. Trees are budding and blooming. Right? Daffodils are blooming. Come on. Birds are singing. Oh, thank God spring has sprung. Right? The dead darkness of winter is passing away. Spring is going to be upon us. Did you know that's what passing into eternity will be like for all those who have faith in Christ? The dead, dull darkness of winter, the life on this earth, will pass away and we'll step into the glorious presence of Almighty God. In that glorious city, flowers are always in bloom. The sound of music is always heard. And the glory of Jesus is the light of the sky. Hallelujah. In that city, it will be a place of reunion for those who know Christ. I believe we will know each other. I know you say, Pastor, what about those that we know and we love, but then we don't find them in God's eternal city? God will wipe away no memory out of our minds. He's just that kind of God to love us enough to not be, uh, to not be bothered or troubled by that memory in his glorious city. He said he would wipe away every tear from our eye, but we will have a place of reunion. Come on. The Bible says we will sit down together with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going to have the privileged opportunity to meet and to greet the saints of God of old, those that you've read about. You can go and you can uh, and walk and talk with the people of God knowing that you've been numbered among the righteous saints of Almighty God. We have all eternity to spend with the Father. In that city, the lame of this world will leap with glory. Think about that for a moment. In that city, the deaf will hear and the mute will sing the song of the redeemed. There will be no night there. Every now and then, you may have watched some of those shows on Alaska. 
Seems like every um, what is it, reality show is either about Alaska or Louisiana. The rest of us just don't matter anymore. But often when you watch those reality shows in Alaska, a certain part of the summer, they have 20 hours of daylight. They get a lot done in a short period of time. Think about it, church family. There'll be no night there. We won't be separated and we won't be limited by time. Time will have passed away. The way it means that we measure time will be gone. We'll be simply living in God's eternal presence. In that glorious city, no temperature swings will take place. Excuse me. There'll be no temperature swings. Think about the temperature swings that we've been prone to see here in Arkansas at times. We're at 75 degrees one day and 28 degrees the next. There'll be no temperature swings in God's eternal city. There'll be no heat from the sun nor cold from the wind. Global warming and climate change will not affect that heavenly environment. Al Gore will be surprised to know that it didn't affect the heavenly environment. No sin, no corruption, no lying, no stealing or cheating. No sexually deviant, no murders, no abusers of children. Only those who have faith in Christ. Only those whose faith in Christ made them worthy to wear a robe of righteousness. There will be laughter and joy, no sorrow or remembrance of the travail of this life because God will have wiped away every tear from your eye. There will not be age. We will take off our glasses, glory to God. We will take out, come on somebody, we'll take out our hearing aids. The bowed over back will be straightened up, come on. The, the, the age will have rescinded back to that perfect season of life. Come on, church family. In this life, we go from brown hair to white hair. In that life, we'll go from white hair to brown hair. Glory to God. Come on, church family. I'm looking forward to that glorious city. There's going to be in that life, a thousand years will be as one day, and one day is a thousand years. We're going to serve the Lord. I don't know what that means, but I just know we're going to serve God. It doesn't mean that you're going to be shipped off to a permanent uh, vacation resort somewhere. Where heaven for you is at a resort somewhere and you're just sitting there drinking some little drink in a cup and watching the water go around the canal. That's not what heaven's like. Heaven's about serving God. Heaven's about worshiping the Father, being all that God, finally reaching our destiny in that city. So what that means, I don't know fully, but I know this. Jesus said, God would say to the redeemed, enter into the joys of the Lord and inherit the kingdom that is prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. The apostle Paul said, we look through a glass darkly. I understand it's hard to contemplate. We have a finite mind. We know about things that are temporal, but we struggle to grasp things that are eternal. I know that we know about, we know about life and death. In that city, we will only know about life. In, that life. in this life, we know about something new that becomes something broken or something aged. In that life, everything will remain constant, sustained by the power of God. The Scripture says, as the Apostle Paul quoted in 1 Corinthians 2 from the book of Isaiah, the Apostle said, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them. That's 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. But the Spirit just gives us a glimpse of eternity. Paul said we look through a glass darkly. We don't have a full picture of exactly what it's going to be like. 
But all I know is if God's been working on it for 2,000 years on this side of eternity. Come on, and if Jesus himself was more moved by returning to his father than the time that he was here on the earth. He was in anticipation to being reunited with his father in that glorious city. Then church family, I can only tell you that it's going to be a, 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 the most amazing thing that nobody could, actu- could, could adequately describe to you with our vernacular in this, in this life. All we can do is get, do our very best to stand up here on podiums and pulpits and to tell you that heaven is the reward of the faith of those who believe in Christ. So let me say this. The Father does bless His children with temporal things. And the Father meets our daily needs, even exceeding our daily needs. He does. He's so good. God is good. Come on, if you're making a decision about whether you want to follow God, let me tell you, your Father loves you. He does. He loves you. And He is kind to you. And He will show you kindness. But let me tell you, the greatest thing that God ever gave you was entrance into his eternal city. You and I were not worthy to enter in. We were just like the heathen, but he sent his son to die on the cross. See, the heaven needed a payment. In order to go to heaven, there was, a payment had to be made. And so there was nothing in earth that could satisfy the demand of God. There was not gold or silver or titanium or platinum. All the precious metals that were hidden in the earth would not satisfy God's redemption, redemptive requirements. There was only one thing God determined was valuable enough to unlock heaven for every man, woman, boy, and girl that desires to go there. And he found that in the life stream of Jesus. It was called his blood. He gave his blood as a propitiation. Redemption is a monetary exchange. You and I had death and we were destined to die and go to a devil's hell. But Christ gave us blood on the cross so that God could exchange to give us his righteousness for the death that he gave on the cross. And so now you and I have the hope of heaven. Glory to God. And so church family, we are to comfort one another with these words. The child of God should not live his life downcast, depressed. You say, well, pastor, I just lost my job. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm in a rented government house. Let me tell you, I came to the church today to tell you about a place God's preparing for you that President Obama didn't give you and Trump didn't give you but Jesus died on the cross so that you could be there with him and live eternity in God's eternal glorious presence. So let me tell you you ought to lift up your eyes to the Lord. You ought to shout and sing. You ought to have joy unspeakable and full of glory because of the promise of eternal life. I'm telling you, church family, there's a reason why church in the old day, people had joy. on Because they preached about heaven a lot more. Because they talked about heaven. But see, now it's all dependent upon whether you're blessed. It's all about whether or not you got a good job or a good house. And so you got all these temporal things. Those temporal things are good things. I'm not preaching against those temporal things, but they dim in comparison to the glories of God that belong to the child of the Most High God. In comparing what it's going to be like with Him in heaven... Every one of your loved ones that's ever gone into heaven and you wept and cried and you longed for them to be back with you. One minute into eternity, one minute into the presence of God, they would never want to come back. Because everything that they have ever longed for, every satisfaction, every hope, every joy has now been superseded by the presence of God. Hallelujah. That's the hope of the gospel. That is the, come on, church family. Listen, that's the hope of the gospel, not just for the aged saint among us. That's the hope of the gospel for JoJo's boys at seven and nine years old. That's the hope of the, is that how old they are? Close? 
somewhere close. And that's the hope of the gospel. Isn't it? It's the hope of the gospel. Heaven belongs to the children of God. God's prepared for us a city. And in this passage of Scripture, I'm removing the theological argument. The Scripture says that Lazarus was comforted. Lazarus was comforted. He didn't have a lot to brag about while living on the earth. But Abraham said, now he's comforted in the presence of God. Now, church family, as we continue for just a few moments, here's the reality. And here's the end of this context and this story. Because you can't have one without the other. The doctrine of heaven and hell are interchangeable. Our culture preaches occasionally heaven but does not bring up the reality of hell very often. Even farther between sermons on heaven are sermons on hell. Here's the reality of the doctrinal teaching both by Jesus and the apostles. If you despise the grace of God, if you reject God's appeal to repent, and God does appeal to all of us to repent, Right? He does. He appeals to us to repent and to confess our sins and receive forgiveness. If you fail to believe in and trust in Christ as your Savior, if your heart is hardened to God's mercy and grace, whether you are a prince or a pauper, if you perish without Christ, you will be like the rich man in the parable. Upon death, you will immediately appear in torments. If heaven is a real place, do you believe heaven is a real place? If heaven is a real place, then so too must hell be a real place. Now, church family, the reality is hell was not created for mankind. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. But Isaiah said, hell hath enlarged her borders. Man's heart has become grossly immoral due to Adam's transgression. And that immorality will lead him, if unrepentant, to a place of sorrow and torment. Let me give you a little doctrinal basis for the doctrine of hell. Hell is most often, the term hell that we use is most often used in the New Testament. In the Greek, it's Gehenna or Gehenna. It actually means the Valley of Hinnom. It contrasts the Hebrew word Sheol. Many of you have, and I've taught this and I've studied this out in great detail in days gone by. Sheol is the Hebrew word that the that the Hebrews typically describe the afterlife and with different levels. Some described it even as seven levels, the same way we see three heavens. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians, I didn't go into all this. I know y'all, I, I know you're saying, well, that's just an ignorant hillbilly. I know more than what y'all think I do. In 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the apostle said that the, he was caught up into the third heaven. So there's a belief held by the Hebrews that there were three heavens, but there were seven levels to hell. You'll see some of that in the languages if you read the original Greek. There are even different uh, terminologies in the Greek to describe this. Peter used the word in the Greek Tartarus, which is a different level than the general uh, synopsis of hell, which is Gehenna. It was, Gehenna was a valley outside of Jerusalem. Jojo and Shane and I saw it with our own eyes. It was the Valley of Hinnom. It's right off of the, off of the, uh, the south, I believe the southeast of the, of the southwest of the city of the, of the, of the temple. In, in, in the ancient days, it was called uh, a topheth. And let me explain to you what this was. When Israel became apostate, during when you read the days of the kings, many of them fell prey to not only idolatry but child sacrifice. 
two of the pagan deities, at least two of the pagan deities that they worship, demanded child's child sacrifice. Molech was one. Molech was a great brazen. It was a great brazen pit that they would actually literally take their children and sacrifice them to that pagan deity. And they did so in that valley, the valley of Gehenna. And so it was called a Topheth in those days. In Jesus' day, it had become the city dump. It was a place, and they, it, was, it had been cursed. Even Josiah the king had, had, had cursed it when he burned the bones of the priests that served the Topheth in those days. And so nobody wanted to, to reclaim the, the valley. And so by the time of Jesus, it had become a city dump. It was a place where the refuse of, and the, of the city and the carcasses of animals and criminals were taken and burned. And so Jesus in his doctrine, if you've ever read other passages where Jesus spoke about hell, he actually would literally point to Gehenna when he said this right here. He said that hell, he said, well, remember the passage, I believe it's in Mark's gospel chapter number nine, when he said, be very careful with handling children, especially God's children. He said, it would be better for you to put a millstone around your neck than to hurt one of these children. You remember that? He said, because if you do so, he said that you'll be cast into Gehenna, into hell. And he said this with great, I, can, I, I have full uh, certainty in my heart that when he said Gehenna, he pointed to the valley of Hinnom when he said these words, where the worm never dies and the flame is not quenched. And everybody immediately knew what he was talking about. Revelation says that in hell, men will gnaw their tongues for pain. In hell, there will be darkness and chains of darkness. The Bible says that there will be prison-like cells. There will be tormenting spirits. You think spirits torment people today on this side of eternity. In hell, tormenting spirits torment those that are incarcerated in hell's darkness. In hell, there will be the sound of shrieks and screams and shouting will be heard. Some men will cry out like the rich man and beg for mercy. They will beg for a pardon that it's too late to offer and too late to be received. Some will continue to blaspheme and curse the name of God and of his Christ, refusing even in death to grasp for the mercy of God. The night will be endless. As in heaven, when the day is endless, in hell, the night will be endless. Hell is endless night, endless darkness, tormenting the already tormented, will be the recurring memory of this life. I want you to pause and think for just a moment. Say, Pastor, is that the rich man in hell had a recurring memory. He had five brothers. And his one request, his second request, his first request was that Lazarus would come with one drop of water and cool his tongue in the flame. And his second request was that somebody would go, send Lazarus, he said, back to my household, for my father has five sons, lest they come to this place of torment. So tormenting the already tormented, listen, I know it's got very quiet in here. Tormenting the already tormented will be the recurring memory of this life. Family neglected, the lies of false religion, and the rejection of Christ. If the tormented ever went to church, if they ever heard a gospel sermon, they will be tormented by the recurring memory of the sound of the gospel. Even a, a, a pastor whose vernacular and vocabulary is often made up as he goes. Even in the midst of that, these words will echo back in the mind of the person 
who has heard this pastor preach and departed into eternity without Christ. That play, that opportunity, the call to repentance, it will replay itself over and over again. Even the most hard-hearted will hope that family and friends from their former life on earth will not follow them to this place of torment. And if you could, like the rich man, you would want to warn them, but your voice is bound to the grave. God, the righteous judge, will have plucked up and taken out everything and everyone in his kingdom that is defiled, rebellious, hard-hearted, sensual, and seductive. They will eventually, at the resurrection, be judged and cast into a lake of fire and brimstone where they will suffer alongside the devil and his angels and the beast and the false prophet. And that is the eternal destination for all those who have rejected Christ. As Aaron comes back to join me this morning, as with heaven, our minds struggle to grasp the severity of the eternal abode of the cursed and the damned. Our mind struggles to identify and to fully grasp the sorrow and the destruction of hell. But let me tell you today, if you believe the gospel, then you believe in the hope of heaven for all who have put their hope in Christ, but you believe in a hell to be shunned that awaits those that have rejected the gospel. As I close this morning, let me say this. I've been compelled over the latter few weeks. I preach Christian living. I preach about monetary giving, things that God wants us to be faithful to. Pastor Andre comes along. He ministers in four services over three days, prophetically praying for people, lifting lives. Those are powerful things. I wouldn't want to trade or take away from any of those things. But in my private devotions, as I've been praying, the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is heaven has been granted to all that have faith in Christ. But hell is a reality. When people reject God and reject the saving, redemptive work of Christ on the cross, it is the eternal destination those that have rejected him I don't care where you are. you can't read the scriptures and not arrive at that conclusion you say well no pastor well there are different people that they interpret things differently not, you can't read it as it's written you can make it up you can fabricate it you can say well I don't believe that or I don't believe this well that's fine we can make that argument all day long but you can't read the gospels the way they're written and not believe and the reality of the heaven that God wants you to go to and a hell that God wants you to shun. You can't read it. It's the gospel. That is the God. That's the core belief. That's the core belief of Christianity. That's the thing that your children need to hear. Right? That's the thing that this community needs to hear, needs to be confronted. Maybe the church is going to have to gain a great courage once again to confront people with eternity once more. To confront people. The reality is we have painted God to be a sugar daddy in the sky. And if you'll come to him, well, he'll do this for you and he'll do that for you. Let me tell you, God so loved you that he took his son out of his heart because that's where Jesus came from the bosom of the Father. 
He took his son out of his heart and he sowed him in the earth so that all of Adam's all of all of all of Adam's kids that had transgressed against God would have access to his mercy and grace. God sowed his son in the earth. And that church family is the gospel. That's the gospel. I was so excited to come down here today because I wasn't going to be preaching to you about Christian living, though it's a great thing. I was going to go right to the core. The core is Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Don't be duped by the enemy. Don't be duped by the enemy. The enemy wants to take as many people. He knows his days are numbered. He wants to take us. He knows where he's destined, right? He knows. Remember when Jesus confronted the devils at Capernaum, what they say, have you come to torment us before our time? They knew. They know that they're destined to be tormented in eternal fire. But their goal is to deceive and seduce as many men as they can so that hell can enlarge its border. Church family, I want to encourage you today. Shun hell's gate. Shun hell's gate. Welcome and open yourself to heaven's gate. Our heads are bowed, our, closed, our eyes closed for just a moment of time before I let you out of here. It'd be wrong for me to preach a message like this today and not give an invitation for you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You're saying, oh, well, Pastor Brown, man, preaching like that, about, especially when you, I was with you when you was preaching on heaven. Man, when you start talking about hell, you scared me, scared my children. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare your children. But I'm just trying to tell you about a reality. The very one that taught us about Abraham's bosom, the very one that said to the sinner on the cross that was beside him, that said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The very one that said, I go to prepare you a place. Also warned of a hell where the flame doesn't quench and the worm does not die. So you can't believe in one without believing in the other. So if I want to give you the opportunity today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, I want you to find a compulsion in your heart today to submit and surrender yourself to Jesus so that heaven becomes your eternal destination, so that you can have the joys of heaven in your heart every day of your life, knowing that at if any moment you were to pass into eternity, you would immediately be welcomed in the presence of God where he would wipe away every tear from your eye. If you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then as the pastor and as your friend, I want to pray with you today. If that's you, I want to ask you to be courageous enough to slip your hand up, and I'll pray with you right where you are.